was watching a reality TV show based in Alaska on Channel 9 Catch-Up TV this week. And in the ad breaks, I was bombarded with all the other shows that I should be watching. And what struck me was the number of, well, new-to-me medical shows. There's all these medical TV shows that I've never heard of. I mean, many of us would have heard of the massively popular House or All Saints, ER, Grey's Anatomy. There are so many medical dramas out there in our world. And we as consumers of drama, we love this type of drama in particular. I think we love these dramas because they're about people, people in real circumstances of life. They're about the politics that go on in a hospital and the relationships that go on in hospitals. But more than that, I think often they become a biological whodunit. There's a type of mystery almost in these medical dramas where we as viewers are compelled to join in the hunt and to enjoy the thrill of the resolution of what might be wrong with this person and how it's revealed. We share in their pain as we see these people, their anxiety, their hopefulness and the joy as usually the episode is resolved at the end. And it got me thinking. It got me thinking, why do we love these shows this much? And I think in many ways it shows us the value that we place on health. Health is so important in our lives. It's important to us and yet it's, it's quite a delicate topic. And as we watch these shows, we live and relive these cycles of sickness and wellness. None of us want to be sick. We don't want invasive surgeries, but we want to watch them. We want to feel like those medical dramas are in fact our reality. Because we know that there will be times where we are met with sickness. We perhaps recall times where we have been sick and healing has come. And so we live, we live the human experience of being sick and of being healed through these shows. We're obsessed with TV drama and in particular TV medical drama because the health of a person is something is, that is so important to us. The details of what makes a person happy are a little more elusive. And so being a healthy person is like a mystery. It's a mystery. We want to know how this mystery works out. And that's why, in many ways, we're very... Um, a diet, for example, is very important to us these days. Exercise is important to us, to us because we want to know the mystery of what it is to be healthy. And that's why many of us come to the Lord Jesus. Many of us come because we know that there's something not right in our lives and we think that he can help. We think that he can fix us. We're going to see today in this story from Matthew chapter 9 a man who was brought on his sickbed to Jesus. 
Because when a man is on his sickbed, a kind of focus comes into a person's life. When you are in the middle of sickness, it sifts out the clutter of life. And big questions often are asked on people's sickbed in hospitals. You don't see that. You don't see that often in TV dramas. But what happens in reality is that people ask very big questions about life, about their own life. What we're going to see today is that there is someone. There is someone who indeed has come to us who answers those questions, those questions that we might put aside, but who answers those questions of life. We're going to see that Jesus enters this man's life. We're going to see the scandal of forgiveness, firstly. We're going to see, secondly, the evil of opposition. And we're going to see, thirdly, the surprise of invitation. Because I think what we've experienced in the last couple of months has taken really what for many of us as we watch TV, is the world of entertainment. There is the ER. There on our screen are people in wards. But in the last couple of months, those realities have come home. Those realities have come home to all of us, that there is this potential. There's very real potential for our life at any moment to turn a corner, For that which we value, health, to decline just through the touch from another person. You might remember from last week that Jesus had gone to the area of the Galileans to escape the crowds. And over there we saw last week that he had healed two demon-possessed men. And in response, the people of the city beg him to leave. And so he does And here at the start of chapter 9, Jesus is heading back after being rejected in this area to his home base, Capernaum. And it's there he's met with the crowds again. But there's a group of men in particular that capture his attention. Jesus sees something in these men. Jesus sees, as Matthew records it, their faith. He sees that there was some knowledge that they had of Jesus. It might not have been a complete knowledge of Jesus, but they saw, those men saw something in Jesus. They saw that he could do something for their friend. Now Jesus, back in Matthew chapter 4, has already healed those who are paralysed. This is not the first occurrence of healing someone who is paralysed, And so perhaps these men had heard that Jesus could heal a person who was paralysed. So they come to him. And the Gospel of Mark records a little more detail in this particular story than Matthew does. Because the crowds aren't just a problem for Jesus, they're a problem to this paralytic man. And so Mark tells us that they dig a hole in the roof and lower him down. And here we have these men with their faith. Their faith not just in an idea or or a philosophy, but their faith in the person of Jesus. That he could make a difference, that 
No one else could do what he could do. And so with this extraordinary effort to overcome these hurdles, they bring this man to Jesus' feet. And in what happens next, the key is really the key to the entire passage. Because Jesus looks at this man. This man has been brought by his friends, lowered down, and is there before him. And he doesn't say what we or those there would have expected him to say. He doesn't say, be healed or walk. That would have been our expectation, I'm sure, if we were there. Now he looks at that man and he says this. He says, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. See, here is this man on the mat, this man who cannot walk, this man who cannot help himself, this man who cannot even bring himself to Jesus. He is clearly a needy man. And perhaps others looked on at him with a sense of compassion. Perhaps they felt sorry for him. But Jesus, as he is confronted with this man, as he's confronted with the reality of his health and of his helpless situation, Jesus sees through what we might see first. And Jesus sees this man's greatest need. He sees his real need. He sees this man's need to be forgiven for his sin. And as Jesus addresses this man, as he says, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven, he doesn't just address his limbs. Jesus wonderfully and uniquely and so beautifully addresses this whole man, body and soul. Because if Jesus were only to heal his limbs just for that moment it would be like it would be like a band-aid on a gunshot wound because this man like all men like all people needs forgiveness and so Jesus does bring healing and health but he brings a spiritual health he offers a real forgiveness a spiritual forgiveness to this man And he does it with such tenderness and kindness. Take heart. Literally, Jesus is saying, don't worry. He's saying to this man, don't worry. Be encouraged. Don't worry of all the things that would stop you in your life. Don't worry of all the things that might burden you. Cheer up, my child. Here Jesus uses the tender language of a loving parent for a child. Take heart, little one. Take heart, son. You see, we come to Jesus. And often we come to Jesus because we think things are wrong in our lives. We might not be uh, diseased. We might not come to Jesus simply for physical healing, but we all come to Jesus for a reason. But often, 
Wonderfully, Jesus sees through the reasons that we come to him. We often come to Jesus because we want a little help in our life. We're going through a rough patch and we can't do it by ourselves. And so we need someone to help us. We often come to Jesus because we are weighed down by guilt, something that we've done and we just can't release ourselves from it. We often come to Jesus because we are sick. We are plagued and and tortured physically or mentally. And we know that nothing in our world can help. And they're not wrong reasons to come to Jesus, to help us through a bad patch, to bring healing to our life because we're lonely. They're not bad reasons to come to Jesus. But wonderfully, as we come to Jesus, Jesus comes to us. And he comes to us and he sees what's most wrong. He sees behind our loneliness, behind our sickness, He sees behind our trouble and he comes and he offers words of real forgiveness. You see, Jesus values the opposite of what we value. In our world, if Jesus had said, your sins are forgiven, our world, well, might not be so concerned with that. Our world, as medical dramas show us, are concerned for the health that Jesus Brings, But Jesus is concerned for this man. Jesus is concerned for this man's sin. Now sin is one of those things that we have trouble with. We're very interested in health. We're not so much interested in sin as a society. But the Bible reminds us that sin is the generating force behind sickness and death. We're reminded of that in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that what blocks us from what we so desire in health is in fact the reality of sin. The Bible also makes clear that individual sin is not caused by specific sins, that those who are sick aren't necessarily sick because of some specific sin. No, what we see in the Bible is that sin is two things. Sin is so deep and sin is so personal. Firstly, sin is deep. Sin is our deep hostility that we have towards God. It's the way our hearts are hostile to God's rule. We recoil that God would have any claim over our lives, let alone that he would have any demands for our lives. I mean, who is he to demand anything of us? You see, our hearts are not bent towards God, they're bent away from him. And so sin is not simply just the acts, the words or the actions, but sin is this deep reality of our alienation from God, that we distance him at any moment and most moments that we have, and that in every act of sin that we are declaring a greater love for ourselves than the one who has made us. 
See, the Bible understands that we as human people are corrupt at our root, at our very core. And often we'll have a look at the exterior realities of people's behaviour and we'll see that as sin. We'll look at the fruit of each sinful act, word or thought. But the Bible wants us to go deeper from just the fruit to see the root, the root of our sin in our hearts, wanting ourselves to be separate, distant and independent from the God who has made us. Secondly, sin is personal. Sin is a personal attack against God. It undermines his rule and diminishes his glory. And because sin is deep, deep within us, we have, if you like, picked a fight with God. And we mock him in our sin. And so we as human people are caught in this reality. It's deep. It's deep within us. And it's a personal hostility against God himself. And this is our greatest sickness. This is what most constrains us. This is what renders us spiritually unable. And Jesus steps into the brokenness of our sin, the darkness of our hearts, our inability to come to him because of our sin. He comes to us and he comes to us in forgiveness. And these are the words that Jesus offers to this man, this man who is brought before him. In the Bible, forgiveness is both an act and an inclination. Forgiveness is something that we do and also something that we feel. Feel. In the Bible, forgiveness is to wipe clean. Forgiveness means to wash, to remove, to cover over, to remember no more. And so the person who is forgiven is no longer obligated to repay. And the one who forgives regards that person will guard that person as one who is once an enemy but now a friend. See, forgiveness is not us deciding to let ourselves off the hook. It's not being kind to ourselves. No, forgiveness in the Bible is what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus. He's come into our lives and he's spoken words of forgiveness, words of the forgiveness in the middle of our opposition to him, in the middle of our hostility, and he's removed our guilt. He's reconciled us as his precious children. And Jesus does that, ultimately, fully and finally, in his death on the cross. Because this is what's picked up in the next section. Because Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven. But how would you know? In fact, this is what the Pharisees pick up on. They think that, well, there in verse 3, that Jesus is blaspheming, that he's taking on the place of God being able to forgive this man of sin. 
And so there in that room, as this man is healed, as Jesus brings forgiveness, there in that room, the tension becomes thick. Jesus knows what they're thinking there in verse 4. And he knows the evil that is in their hearts. And that's our next section there, the evil of opposition. Those who see this man's healing, those who question it, those who question Jesus' authority, well, they're confronted. They're confronted with the reality of this man, of the proof of what this man brings. They're scandalised that Jesus would himself claim to take the place that only God can take in forgiving sins. And so Jesus challenges those who challenge him, those who accuse him of blasphemy. He shows that they are, in fact, the blasphemers there in verse 5 because he says, which is easier? Which is easier for me to forgive sin or for this man to rise and walk? The, que- the answer to that question from a human point of view is, of course, well, it's much harder to forgive sin. That's God's role. And this is Jesus' point to those that are scandalised by his forgiveness. This is Jesus' point. You see that man walking? You can know that man is walking because I have authority to forgive sin. What they couldn't see in that room at the end of this gospel will become apparent. That man's sin was forgiven. And it wasn't just that man's sin, but indeed the sin of the whole world that Jesus took upon the cross. And here in this miracle, this moment where this man who hasn't been able to walk, this man is given release from the sickness which has held his body. In this moment, it shows a greater release, a greater moment of healing, a healing of the human heart, a healing of the sin that is deep within all of us, the sin that is personal against God. This is the healing that Jesus brings. And this is the healing that Jesus brings to all men, to all that would come to him to all that would know that within all of us is a deep darkness, a deep reality of sin, a sin that renders us unable to come to the Lord Jesus, but that in the gospel we know that he has come to us. So today... I want us to hear these words of Jesus. Today, wherever we are, whoever we are, mums, mums especially, I think, mums bear so much emotional burden. Mums bring upon themselves so much sense of things not being done. And so it can be hard It can be hard to be a mum. There can be a sense of being discouraged, defeated, burdened. Mums often take on too much. And so 
mums, like anyone, need to hear the words of the Lord Jesus, to take heart, to know that in the Lord Jesus your sins are forgiven, that Jesus offers healing, that he offers hope, that you can know him, that you can trust him, that you can commit yourself to him, and that he will indeed set you free so that you can walk with joy in knowing him. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he has taken on our burden of sin. We thank you that he brings forgiveness. And we ask, Father, that this day that we might take heart, that we might take heart in him and know his tenderness, his forgiveness and his love. And we pray it in his name. Amen.